Hey, everybody, it's great to be with you again. I've been kind of scratching my head about what can I talk to you about? Something that would inspire you. And I found it. This is an article that is about a man we just endorsed in the state of Texas for a House district race. His name is Jeff Younger, and he is the father of two sons. His children's names are James and Jude. And to give you a little bit of a preference to this story, you need to know that I haven't been following it as closely as I should have. Uh, It is a story about twin boys, James and Jude. And they were taken away from their father by his wife, uh, who since divorced. And it is one of the most frightening real life events that has taken place in relation to the crazy ideology we call gender identity. So I'm going to read his account to you. It is phenomenal. And it's especially, especially timely because we are in this election cycle. And this man stood up to run for public office because of what he experienced on a personal level. Here we go. The title of the article is Father Does Know Best. I had been with my two sons, James and Jude, every day of their lives until the age of three. We lived in Dallas, Texas. When my wife filed for divorce, I had to leave my son's home. I had the two boys only half of the time. My first night away from them, I lay uneasily in my bed and began to shiver. I wondered if I might be cold, although it was the hottest part of the summer. Shivering and clutching my sides, I gradually came to understand that I was crying. I am a man, and my emotions are usually under my control. I allow myself to be sad, or to be happy, or to be tired, or even angry. I observed myself shaking as I wept for my sons, fearing for them, unable to avert the tragedy awaiting them in the near future. Nowadays, divorce requires no exceptional circumstances, only fickle sentiment. Our customs adapted to the absence of fathers, and we now don't even expect children to have fathers. But I expected my children would have a father. As I regained my composure lying in a silent house in my bed, I understood what I must do. I must give my posterity a path to manhood in a fatherless society. I grew up on a farm and ranch in a very rural area of Texas. My life then was full of struggles. I had no father. My mother had exiled him by divorce when I was eight years old. I would sit in the bar ditch along the dirt road outside my home. With a stick, I would spell my father's name in the dirt. I would sit there all day waiting for my father to come back. The farmhands who occasionally drove by, all from Mexico, all fathers with children, 
all with intact families, took pity on me. They sometimes stopped and talked with me. They were hard men, good men. One day, I would want to be like them. My mother, for months, thought I was playing outside. One day, Joe Garcia, with a stern look on his face, drove his pickup into our driveway. He stepped out of the truck and waved at me. Jefe, he called me boss in Spanish because it sounded like my name, Jeff. It was our private joke. He walked in muddy boots to our front door and knocked. My mother answered the door. He told her that I was waiting for my father. My mother told me in angry words to come inside. She never allowed me to wait for my father again. One day, as I was working at home, my then three-year-old son, James, came to me and leaned on my leg. He always did that when I sat. Completely unbidden, he told me that his mommy said he was a girl. A cold terror took my breath away. James' mother was a pediatrician. She had become a radical leftist, and now she was tampering with James' gender identity. She eventually enrolled James in a school as a girl, without my consent. James was taught for years by public school teachers that he really was a girl. He used the girls' restroom. When I took him to school in boys' clothes, his teacher gave him a dress. I couldn't do much to change things, with only two weekends a month with my sons. Still, James never presented as a girl with me. He had a chance at a normal life with me, but the court gave him to his mother to be transitioned to a girl. It seemed to me that women think a lot about their rights. Men seem to think more about their duties. As I've aged, this has become less dichotomous than it first appears. Rights and duties are concomitant. Two sides of one coin. We all have duties. We need rights broad enough to allow us to fulfill those duties, but not so broad as to burden our fellow citizens. We all have rights. We can exercise those rights, but we cannot exercise them so imprudently as to burden our fellow citizens. Rights and duties cannot be separated. Yet today, one rarely hears anything about our duties to one another. Best definition of the leftist worldview is this. The left wants rights without duties and duties without rights. The sexual revolution that created the massive rise in divorce, which engendered the fatherless society, it is all based on a logical impossibility. This impossible, utopian ideal governs us and our families. This ideology promised more freedom, but only burdened us with duties that are impossible to fulfill. This wicked world system created by the left almost completed the murder of my son, James. I wanted to give my sons a path to manhood in a fatherless society. This is the idea I came to in my despair. I was so enthralled to the wicked world system of the left, I didn't notice that I was creating a duty where there was no right. In divorce, fathers have no right to raise their children. 
One cannot be a moral force in a child's life with only two weekends and a month together. There is no path to manhood in a fatherless society. When I was in my mid-thirties, I located my father. I wanted to go back to that ditch and make him come back to get me. After a time, I noticed that my father's absence from his children had broken him. He had taken to drinking. I moralized about this for a year or so, but much like my thinking about rights and duties, I saw a deeper truth. Drinking was his bar ditch. That was how he waited for the family he loved to come back. He was still in love with my mother after all those years. This time with my father was tumultuous. My father was irritated by my presence, as though I was telling him to come inside, telling him that he couldn't wait for us anymore. After all, I had grown up. The time for waiting was over. He didn't want to stop waiting, and so we parted forever. I told my friends stories about why I wasn't spending much time with my father. The stories weren't true. The long absence of divorce broke our bond of attachment. We had both been waiting for each other. But in the end, there was nothing left to wait for but waiting itself. For my sons to have a path to manhood, they would have to live in a society with fathers. There is no path to manhood in a fatherless society. It seemed impossible. Eager to fight back, I found a duty that might make it possible. I must embark on a restorationist project to return fatherhood to its rightful station in society. This presented problems. I am not a man well suited by temperament to lead democratic movements, much less am I suited to lead grand social restorationist projects. I wasn't even philosophically sure that it could work. After all, I was skeptical of the left's belief that rational human action could engineer society. Wasn't I supporting using rational human action to re-engineer society? There are more serious problems. I was quite out of step with the zeitgeist. The sexual revolution promised liberation and freedom. Most people think that that is precisely what it did. I would have to convince them that on the contrary, what looks like liberation of human sexual aspirations is really a form of totalitarian social control. And even if I could do that, it would take longer than the childhood of my sons. This conservative utopian vision would not save my sons. My sons would indeed grow up in a fatherless society. I do not believe in leadership styles. There is one style of leadership, lead by example. When my sons wanted to learn judo, I did judo with them. When my sons wanted to learn how to use a knife to whittle, I whittled with them. When my sons had to learn how to write in cursive, I wrote everything in cursive. Then my sons asked me if they could box. I was a boxer in my youth, but I was 56 years old. Nevertheless, we all enrolled in boxing. I wanted them to see a real boxing match. I wanted them to feel confident being hit. So I went back to the ring to set the example. I remember Jude looking at me with awe as I stepped into the amateur ring with a 24-year-old heavyweight. 
our bout started strategically. We studied the other's footwork and tested reactions with jabs and feints. I landed a hard cross to the fellow's chin. A second later, he jabbed and then landed a hard cross to my liver. (laughs) It dropped me. Great. My boys were going to see me take a TKO in my first match. Then I heard Jude say in a confident and playful voice, It hurts just as bad on your knees as it does standing up, Dad. This made me laugh, and I stood up before the end of the count. I never let that guy get close to me again. I won the match on points. In 2019, in a small courtroom in Dallas County, I put a question before the court. Can a mother transition her son, James, to a girl without the father's consent? The world's foremost experts on both sides of that question and on both sides of the transgender debate arrived in that small courtroom. After a week at trial, the decision was no. No, she can't do that. I got 50-50 custody and no child support. My ex-wife could not use any medical intervention to change James into a girl. We both had to agree in order to change the status quo. Later, the leftist Dallas County establishment managed to remove my judge in a transparently corrupt recusal proceeding. The new judge, Mary Brown, 301st District Court, took away my sons. The judge allowed my ex-wife to transition my son, James, to a girl. He wears dresses. He uses the girl's restroom. I worry that he will succumb to the lies that he believes he is really a girl. The court and my ex-wife have savagely abused my son, and it is all being done with no consequences for the abusers, who use government authority and immunity as a cover for these vicious crimes. I was given only supervised visitation. It costs $600 per visit. They won't let me change James out of a dress. They won't let me use male pronouns for my son. And they won't let me teach James traditional Christian doctrine on sexuality and gender. So I cannot cooperate with supervised visitation. I will not allow a judge to coerce me into the abuse of my own son. My sons are growing up fatherless as I did. Their mother removed me from their lives as my mother did me. I can see only one peaceful path to save my sons. I am running for office in Texas as a state representative in House District 63. I will introduce legislation to prevent judges from sexually abusing children. I will enter articles of impeachment for judges that abuse Texas children from the bench. I will never stop fighting for my son's life. This article is illegal. In January of 2020, Judge Mary Brown in Dallas, Texas, put me under an unconstitutional gag order. It doesn't prevent me from talking about my case. It prevents me from talking about political topics. It permanently bans me from all newspapers, blogs, news reports, stories, and social media. The judge did this to prevent me from telling you about what she's done to James. They tried to silence my speech, 
to prevent me from testifying to the Texas legislature on outlawing sex changes on children. This gag order is directly intended to prevent me from running for office, but I don't follow illegal orders or mandates from lawless judges or any official. They will not silence me. Are my sons waiting for me? When we meet next, will the waiting be the only thing left for us? Answering these questions is what it takes to be a father in our fatherless society. The only thing that keeps me going is Jude saying, it hurts just as much on your knees as standing up. I might as well keep fighting, keep swinging, no matter what. I will always get up as my sons expect of their father. Parents' Rights in Education proudly endorses Jeff Younger for his bid for House District 63 in Texas. Please help him beat the odds and win that race. This is Parents' Rights Now. Please check your show notes for links pertinent to this podcast. Oh, and one last thing. It would be so, so great if you could help us out financially as well. You know, we have ongoing expenses every month and we're growing, growing like crazy. And uh, we do give assistance to all of our chapters. They can uh, ask people in their various states to contribute. So you might want to consider that if there is a chapter in your state, uh, you can indicate that you prefer for the money to go directly to the state. And Pre keeps 20% of that and 80% goes to the chapters to help them with their expenses for printing, etc. A lot of them are putting on events and we encourage them to do that. And so this helps them to grow and to take action. And um, anyway, just go to the donate page on our website, parentsrightsined.org. Thanks much. So much.